Good morning, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on May 18th of 2013 under the headline, a town's special friendship with its one-time would-be destroyer. Here we go. The year was 1961. Nearly 20 years had come and gone since a tiny seaplane 6,000 miles from home buzzed over Brookings, Oregon to bomb the American homeland for the first time in history. The event was relatively recent, but it was well on its way to being forgotten. Three members of the Brookings Junior Chamber of Commerce, on their way home from a planning meeting for the upcoming Brookings Azalea Festival, stopped by a tavern to have a beer. Over glasses of suds, one of them, Doyle Roush, mentioned that as a youngster during the war he'd heard that airplane flying over the town on its way to drop its bombs. The other two, Dale Peterson and Bill McChesney, were floored. A Japanese plane? Dropped a bomb near Brookings? Why hadn't they ever heard about this? Roush quickly filled him in on the story, and Peterson hatched an idea on the spot. Why not try to track down the pilot and invite him to Brookings as part of the Azalea Festival? A few months later, the JCs were swapping letters with Fujita, and they'd agreed to try to bring him to town. They figured it would cost about $3,000 to do it. Well, three grand was a lot of money to have to raise, but the plan faced bigger obstacles than that. Remember, to be in the J.C.'s, you had to be a fairly young businessman. At age 41, you were out. That meant by the early 1960s, most of the J.C.'s had been too young to serve in the war or had served in the last few years of the war when Japan's forces were mostly beaten and somewhat pathetic, the Marianas turkey shoot phase of the war. But older residents of Brookings remembered a different Japan, one that had moved from strength to strength and shown scant mercy to its defeated enemies. Some of them thought bringing Fujita to town as a publicity play was outrageous, and they were not shy about expressing those views. Quote, Fujita's only claim to fame is that he is the only Japanese pilot who has bombed the mainland of the United States by airplane, noted a full-page ad in the Brookings Harbor Pilot, signed by 141 people. We, the undersigned residents of the Brookings Harbor area, are absolutely opposed to such kind of publicity. Two things happened to change this sentiment. First, recognizing that promoting tourism was a somewhat crass motivation for such a somber and serious visit, the JCs re-evaluated their reasons for inviting Fujita. They still felt he should be invited to visit, but they agreed that it should be for purposes of fostering international peace and goodwill. A defeated enemy coming with hand extended in friendship and mutual forgiveness, that's a powerful story, and one that's badly cheapened if it's used to promote tourism. Secondly, in a gesture reminiscent of Chief Joseph, Fujita announced that he would be giving his family's sword, a priceless original katana 400 years old, forged in the age of the samurai and carried into battle by a dozen generations of Fujita's ancestors, as well as by Fujita himself, to the city of Brickings. All of which was good enough for some of the town's most influential combat veterans to reverse their positions on Fujita's visit. 
fueled by respect for a defeated enemy who had performed an act of remarkable audacity and made easier by the fact that no one had gotten hurt. Opposition to the visit started melting away. Fujita was still a little worried about how he might be received, though. After all, he had tried his hardest to burn this town to the ground and kill everybody in it, and now here he was riding into town in a car with its mayor. He knew there had been some initial resistance, and there are rumors that he'd even gotten a couple of threatening letters from Bandon residents. Quote, I was quite sure that once in Brookings I would be beaten up, people would throw eggs at me and shout insults at me, he later claimed. When he arrived with his family, though, Fujita found himself treated like a celebrity. His motorcade was stopped in Coos Bay so that a large crowd could welcome him, and again in Bandon so that the local JCs could celebrate his arrival with a special reception that they'd prepared. When he finally got to Brookings, he was given the key to the city, and the family was treated like a visiting delegation of dignitaries. The Fujitas participated in the Azalea Festival and watched the parade and were taken up in a small aircraft to fly over Mount Emily, where Fujita had dropped his bombs. The following Monday, Fujita ceremoniously presented his 400-year-old sword to the city, and the JCs presented him with a plaque engraved with the words to Nobuo Fujita, Ambassador of Goodwill and Peace. It was to be the first of many visits by Fujita and his family to Brookings, and of a sort of international exchange program that included some visits by high school students. It also developed into something like a sister city's relationship between Brookings and Fujita's city, Mitsukaido. In 1990, Fujita and his family came out again for the Azalea Festival, just a visit this time, nothing official. But Mayor Fred Hummel declared May 25th to be Nobuo Fujita Day, and the city welcomed its former foe again with open arms, treating him to a lunch of submarine sandwiches, garnished in Fujita's case with a small airplane made of pickles. Everyone got a good chuckle. He came back again two years later, more quietly this time, to plant a redwood tree on the bomb site as a memorial and a symbol of international peace and goodwill on the 50-year anniversary of the raid. Throughout the early 1990s, Fujita and his family came to Brookings several more times, despite the aviator's declining health. The nephew of his observer, Shoji Okuda, killed in a kamikaze operation in 1944, also visited. In late 1997, Brookings learned Fujita was in bad health and not expected to recover. The city council voted to make him an honorary citizen, and word was passed to him in time for him to hear the news and smile. A few days later... On September 30th, he died. Nobuo Fujita had requested that a portion of his ashes from his cremation be buried at the bomb site. In October 1998, his daughter returned to Brookings to fulfill this request. Key sources in this story included works by Bill McCash, Enzo Angelucci, and WW2DB.com. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. 
This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatorgan.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶